profitable now and it's profitable for eternity. So the Bible says, while you're focused on the things of this world, make sure you train yourself and exercise for godliness. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to speak for a few moments on this subject, flatlined faith. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for the power that we have access to, Lord God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would operate, Lord, within the authority and the power and the potential, Lord, that you've given to us. Uh, Let us operate in faith. Let us exercise our faith. Let us grow our faith. Uh, We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Uh, Everybody said amen. amen. Shake hands with two people and tell them, let your faith be alive. God bless you, and you may be seated. When you are born again as a spirit-filled Christian, you find yourself caught between two worlds. You find yourself on the front lines of a spiritual conflict because you are sandwiched between a spiritual world that has eternal implications and a carnal or physical world that is here and now. You find yourself sandwiched between things that are eternal and things that are finite or limited to the scope of time. See, the reason we find ourselves this way is we are human beings and we are made of soil or dirt. Everybody understand? The Bible says we are formed from the dust and one day we will return to the dust. So there is a part of us that is physical or fleshly or worldly. But the reason we have life today is because God of heaven knelt down and breathed into the nostrils of our forefather, Adam, the breath of life, or the spirit. And when spirit and flesh came together, man became a living soul. So we find that we still today have these two parts of us. Part of us is from the earth. Part of us comes from God. Do you believe that? And uh, so while our flesh still is under the influence of this world, our spirit, when we're born again, is hungry for God. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7, that when the dust returns to the earth as it was, the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So these two parts are components of every human being. These two parts are in conflict over your direction. The direction of your life is being influenced by these two worlds. These two worlds in conflict are seeking to determine the direction of your life and the interests that you have. Do you believe that? If you don't believe it, listen to the Bible. It says in Galatians 5.17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So the Bible is making it clear that our direction, our desires, and our interests are in the crosshairs of this conflict between the flesh and the spirit, seeking to determine which direction that we will go. And these two parts are also in conflict over our thoughts. Who is going to determine what you think? Are you going to think 
based on this physical world, or are you going to think based on the spiritual world? The Bible says in Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And uh, here's the good news, is that you get to control what you're going to think about, whether you're going to be have your mind influenced and controlled by physical things by this world, or whether you're going to allow spiritual things or the things of God to dominate your thought life. Everybody said amen. amen. What is your spirit? The spirit is the part of you that desires God. It's the part of you that's concerned about things that are not in this world. It's the part of you that hungers for the presence of God. Isaiah 26 and 9 says, My soul yearns for you in the night, and in the morning my spirit longs for you. Every human being has a part of them that really, truly longs for the presence of God and to be in connection with its Creator. My spirit is my God consciousness, and my spirit is honest about my connection with God. It will let me know whether I'm connected or disconnected. It is the part of us that God uses to convict us about sin when we're living in disobedience to God. Proverbs 20 and 27 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. So the Spirit is the part of you that God breathed into you, that hungers for God and thirsts for God, and also is honest with you about your connection, and God uses it to convict you when you are disobedient to God. Amen. So I wonder why the majority of people in the world today, the majority of human society, have very little concern for God, very little concern for the principles of God. Seeing that all human beings were born both carnal and spiritual, why does it seem that the majority of human beings have no interest in things that are spiritual. It almost seems as if human beings have silenced this God part of them. And instead of listening to it, uh, they have seared it or silenced it and became interested only in the things of this world. And uh, no concern for God's principles, only concern for things that are in this world. The sad reality is the Bible describes this condition of the majority of humankind as spiritually dead. Everybody say dead. Spiritually flatlined. Spiritually dead. And because it was because of Adam and Eve's sin and transgression, the Bible says, In the day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Because of the sin nature that was transferred to us, we are spiritually dead until we are born again. And when I say spiritually dead, obviously you're still breathing, you still got breath in your body, but spiritually dead means disconnected from God's spirit. And rather than your life being directed by God's spirit, see this is God's plan is that his spirit would lead and guide you and order your steps and you would be led by the spirit of God. But those who are spiritually dead are disconnected from God, and they are not directed or led by God. Instead, they are led or directed by their soul, their soul being their mind, will, and emotions. And so the sad reality is that the majority of humankind are spiritually connected, disconnected from God, and they don't receive impulses from heaven and they don't allow God to convict them of sin, and they don't allow God to direct their path. 
And what happens then? They begin to be led by their own thoughts, by their own will, and by their own emotions. This is the condition of human beings. And that's why you hear things like, follow your heart. Just follow your heart. If you want to find out what to do, just follow your heart. The Bible tells us not to follow our heart. The Bible says your heart is desperately wicked, and it's ridiculously deceitful, deceitful above all things. So if I follow my emotions, then it's going to lead me into a bad place. Does anybody have a testimony? And you can say, Amen, brother. My heart led me astray. My heart led me in the wrong direction. My heart led me to the wrong woman or the wrong man. My heart led me to the wrong place. I I found myself far from God and far from happiness and far from peace because I followed my heart. Amen. But humankind follows their will, their emotions, their soul. But God's plan is that our soul would be surrendered to a revived spirit that is connected to God. Here's the deal. Guess what? You can't connect to God with your mind, will, and emotions. There's got to be a spirit thing that happens. Amen. That's why the Bible says they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't. It's, it's impossible. There has to be an awakening or a bringing back to life of the spirit nature, that part that God breathed into you, that part that craves God, that part that's hungry for God. And when the wind of the spirit blows like it did in Pentecost and it blows across your life and all of a sudden out of nowhere, out, out of nowhere seemingly, you're stimulated to begin to read the Bible and come to church and you have a hunger to please God just out of nowhere. Guess what? It's not out of nowhere. It's God's grace breathing the breath of life into you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So human beings, most of them disconnected, spiritually dead, are in a position where they are influenced and directed and led by their fleshly desires and their fleshly appetites. But God's plan is to bring your spirit back to life and to reestablish this connection. Amen. Is there anybody that has that testimony that says, I tried on my own and I couldn't do it. I couldn't straighten out my life. I couldn't get on the right path. I couldn't establish the right priorities. But when the Holy Ghost came into my life, it changed me completely. And it transformed me. Hallelujah. It's the power of God's Spirit. Ephesians 2 and 1 says this, You hath He quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were spiritually dead because of your sins, because of your disobedience, because you were just doing what seemed and felt natural. But you were spiritually dead. But the Bible says that God has quickened some of us who were dead. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love the visual in Scripture of uh, uh, Ezekiel and the valley of dry bones. And all the bones are laying out there. And God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel says, God, you're the only one that knows that. Uh, And he said, prophesy. And, uh, well, first of all, there was something really amazing that happened. All the bones began to fit together. And then all of a sudden, muscle began to appear on the bones and joints and and marrow in the bones. And then all of a sudden, flesh and skin covered the bones. And then all these bodies stood up. And then he said, prophesy to the wind. So Ezekiel said, blow north wind, blow south wind, blow east wind, blow west wind. And from all these directions, this wind of God began to blow. And all of a sudden, this uh, uh, army of carcasses came to life and became a living field of individuals. 
angels, a living group of people, a living army, if you would. And I want to tell you today that when you came to the house of the Lord, your mind mind might have been alert, uh, and your desires might have been real keen, and your flesh might have been right on edge, getting everything that it wanted and everything that it desired. But you were spiritually dead. You couldn't please God. You couldn't live for God. You couldn't find direction in your life. But when the Holy Spirit began to blow, come on now, when the Holy Spirit, it took what was dead, it quickened what was dead and made it alive again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is what the Bible means when it says you must be born again. Because your first birth, because of Adam, it left you spiritually disconnected. Amen. But I was raised in a good family. You're still disconnected. You need the Holy Ghost. But I'm a religious person. That doesn't matter. But I'm a Baptist. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Christian. I'm a Presbyterian. I was raised in a Pentecost. It doesn't matter. What matters is, have you received the Holy Spirit? John 3, 5, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. No man can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Listen to this. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So when your mama had you, she gave birth to a fleshly being. But the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Now let me talk to those of you who have been born again. Because what you, well, let me first of all say, if you haven't been born again, you're in the right place today. Amen. Because I feel the Holy Spirit. I feel faith in the house right now. Say, well, I'm a Christian and I I accepted the Lord and I made a decision for Christ. That's great. But I'm going to ask you the same thing that uh, that the uh, uh, apostle asked in Acts chapter 19. Paul said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, well, we haven't heard about it yet. Uh, And then he preached to them and they were baptized in water in Jesus' name and they received the Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible says. And begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So if you haven't been born again, I've got good news today. Amen. I've got good news today. You don't have to keep fighting the same battle you've been fighting on your own. You don't have to struggle with the same things you've been struggling with on your own. Amen. You don't have to feel alone. You don't have to feel disconnected. You don't have to feel broken down because the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, the Holy Spirit can be that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Come on now. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit, uh, the breath of God can bring you hope. Uh, It can be your comforter. Hallelujah. Amen. I think I got some excited witnesses in the house today. I think I got some raving fans in the house. Fans of Jesus Christ. Fans of the Holy Spirit. Fans of the change that He's made in my life. Hallelujah. I'm not a good person. I'm a mess like everybody else. But because I've got the Holy Ghost, it brought life into me. It brought spirit into me. Hallelujah. That's why even though I've been in church all these many years, I still get excited. I still get those goosebumps up and down my spine when they start singing, I've got that Holy Ghost down in my soul. 
just like the Bible says. Oh, I've got that Holy Ghost down in my soul, just like the Bible says. Well, I've been to the water and I've been baptized. My soul got happy, now I'm satisfied. I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now, just like the Bible just like the Bible, just like the Bible says. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Man, I love watching people get the Holy Ghost. I love it because they go from tears flowing down their face. But it's not, it's not just tears of like, oh, man, I'm so messed up and, oh, I'm so sad and so disappointed and so discouraged. No, it is tears of joy. And I love it. Stand up, Sister Brown. Stand up because you're going to be my example. I just got the Holy Ghost. What's the first thing I want to do? I want to hug somebody. The song says it makes you want to love everybody. It'll transform you. It'll change you. Hallelujah. Amen. I just needed an excuse to do that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you today that as we begin to worship the Lord a little bit later, as we begin to call on the name of the Lord, you praise the Lord with us. Just worship God with us. And if you begin to feel something, feels a little different, feels overpowering, guess what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. Just to be honest, you can stop it if you want. You can just stop praying, put your hands down, look around. But if you just keep pursuing it, amen, keep reaching for God, keep crying and praying, before you know it, you'll begin to feel the power of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says you'll begin to speak in language that you didn't learn as the Spirit gives you the utterance. Just let it happen. Amen. Just let it happen. But let me talk to now, as I said, to those who are Spirit-filled, who face the daily dichotomy of still living in a real world while at the same time being challenged and drawn by another world. This is is where faith comes in. This is where faith is critical. The word faith is a word that's used a lot. And in our vernacular, it's often used to describe a person who is religious. In uh, like uh, political discussion in our culture, they say he's a person of faith. What do they mean? He is a religious person or he is a, a, a believer. And I think that's fine that uh, we refer to faith in this way, but faith means more than a religion or a denomination. And I, I've heard this before. I've heard people say this, that, uh, uh, you know, I'll talk to them about Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, talk to them about serving God. And uh, they say, well, that's good. Um, uh, I don't go to church, but I'm a Catholic. And I'm like, what, is, what does that mean? It's almost like, uh, well, I don't go to church, but I'm Baptist. And it's, it's like they put this tag on them as if it's a, it's just like their ethnicity or something. It's like, uh, yeah, uh, I'm Argentinian or I'm Italian. You know, that's my upbringing. Faith is so much different than a person's religion or affiliation that they inherited from their parents. Come on now. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. They don't use the American dollar or the euro. It is faith that accesses God's blessings. 
It's faith that enables us to take hold of the promises of God. As we read in your hearing, without faith it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You must believe that God exists and you must believe that God is going to bless you if you seek him. That he's going to bless your efforts. That he's going to bless your obedience. Come on now. So that means if you're just obeying to obey and not believing that God's going to bless you for obeying, you're not operating in faith. You're only operating in faith when you believe that he is a rewarder. Amen. So some people believe then that faith is, based on this scripture, faith is a belief. You just believe. But I want to tell you today that true faith is a confidence or a belief that produces action and obedience. A belief, listen to me, a belief that doesn't make you do something is not faith. Did you get that? Well, I believe this. What are you doing about it? Nothing. That's not faith. Faith is a belief that makes you do something. James 2 and 17 says, Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Now I'll read again the NIV version. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So that means faith without works, faith without actions, faith that does not produce a change or cause you to do something is flatlined faith. You know, in the hospital, there's the sign of the vitals, the heartbeat, the other vital signs that indicate and give the physicians and the nurses and so forth family members, assurance, everything's okay. But then at the end of life, a person takes their final breath, and no doubt you've seen it, movies, television shows, perhaps in real life, the flat line. And faith that ceases to produce works is faith that is flatlining. Because let me tell you, faith always shows up. A lot of people think faith is between your ears and your head. That's just a part of faith. Faith always shows up. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Faith's Hall of Fame. It talks about, uh, that, that's where it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders received a good report. And if you read Hebrews chapter 11 for yourself, you will discover almost every instance that faith produced action. It says, By faith, able offered a better sacrifice. Are you getting the point now? It doesn't say, by faith, Abel sat in his room and believed that God was real. Come on now. You guys still here? By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Abel stepped out of the box, in essence, and did something that seemed unusual. By faith. Amen? And it says, by faith, Noah prepared an ark. I'm going to say this every single time until you get it. It doesn't say, by faith, Noah sat in his room and believed God was real. It says, by faith, Noah prepared an ark. 
Noah did something unusual. Noah did something that brought him ridicule. Noah obeyed God regardless of what others thought or what even his own mind told him. Noah obeyed God by faith. Abraham obeyed and went out, out of his homeland, out of the comfort zone. Abraham, by faith, offered Isaac as a sacrifice to the Lord before God stopped the process in obedience to God. By faith, he did something out of the ordinary. By faith, he did something extreme. It doesn't say by faith. Abraham sat in his room and said, there must be a God. I can tell it all around me. What did he do? He did what God told him to do. He obeyed God. He stepped out of the norm. And faith always shows itself. Amen. I could go on and on. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, even though it was the convenient, easy, and most profitable thing to do. By faith, the Hebrews passed through the Red Sea. By faith, faith always produces an action. Faith always takes people out of their normal schedule. Faith always pushes people out of their comfort zone. Faith causes us to do something. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Faith that is doing nothing is flatlined faith. And I want to tell you this matters to you today because sometimes we as believers find ourselves in a diminishing position in our relationship with God, in our commitment to God, in our level of sacrifice, in our passion for the kingdom. We are atrophying, if you would, spiritually, never realizing that God's intent was that we would expand and grow and exercise and train ourselves, amen, and become bigger and stronger and better spiritually through exercising ourselves toward godliness, amen. That will make us better on this earth and gives us eternal uh, dividends, amen. Hallelujah. And then finally it says in Hebrews 11, all these through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, so on and so forth. Faith always shows up. Faith always produces results. Faith always manifests itself. In, in the Word of God, you can see the example in that when uh, in, in the New Testament, wherever Jesus went, there were a lot of miracles happening. A lot of people getting healed. And many, many times, if you read your Bible and the Gospels, Jesus says to someone who is healed, Go in peace. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Your faith made you whole. But I've, I've used this example before. I think it's really fascinating that when you read the stories of Jesus' healing ministry, I don't see him walking through a crowd and using his... Uh, spiritual intuition to discern faith between the ears of the people. He walks along and waits for somebody to show their faith in the flesh and blood, to show their faith in their physical body. It might be a little old lady stooped over, pushing her way through the crowd. Until she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. It might be a blind man named Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside. 
clearing his throat and screaming to the dismay and chagrin of those around him, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. But one thing's for sure. I like the story. I like this story. There were men, uh, four men who brought their friend in a bed to Jesus because he had a sickness and he couldn't walk. And when they couldn't get into the house, what did they do? They took him up to the roof of the house and they tore the roof, a big hole in the roof, and they let him down with ropes right in front of the mouth. This is an amazing story if you think about it. This body's being lowered. And the Bible says this specifically. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then he said to him, take up your bed, amen, and walk. Don't miss the point. The point is, he saw their faith. Their actions up there, pulling away shingles. Doesn't seem like a very spiritual thing. But they say, we're doing this because we believe Jesus is a healer. I'm doing this because I believe there's a miracle down there. Other people leave the roof on the house, but not us. We're going to take the roof off the house because we believe something's going to happen. And Jesus saw what they were doing. Jesus saw their actions. And when he saw their faith. I want you to get this point. The four men didn't sit outside the walls of the house and say in their mind or even to each other, I believe Jesus can do this. I believe Jesus can do this. Yeah. I believe he's a healer. I believe he can do it. No, they did something. And it was their action that made clear to the Lord Jesus Christ that these people had faith. Listen to me now. Faith that has stopped working is flatline faith. But I still believe. Do you really believe? If you really believe, why aren't you doing what the Lord told you to do? There's some people say, well, I believe in the power of prayer. Why don't you pray? Are you with me? Are you with? If you really believe prayer made a difference in your life, don't you think you'd be doing it? I really believe in prayer. I believe it makes a difference. I believe it will answer your needs. It will take care of your situation. And then you go through life not praying. James says, oh, yeah, you believe. I'll show you that I believe by my actions. Come on now. When you are praying, you are making it plain. You believe in the power of prayer. When you are not praying, you have flatlined faith. Amen. Because faith always produces, always shows up, always comes out and becomes visible. Amen. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as we have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The New Living Translation says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Are you with me now? Listen, listen, listen. Say, but you're saved by faith, not of works, lest any man would boast. That's true. Faith in God 
And God's grace is working in us to transform us and change us. But then he tells us to work out what's already working in. Work to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and deep fear. So God is working in you, but you have to work out. Amen? God's will is not that your faith be flatlined or even on life support. And I want to challenge some people of God here today. Can I be your pastor for a few moments right now? This morning I went into, uh, into the restroom, fixed my hair, brushed my teeth. I don't remember what it was. But I remember that behind me, little Eden was in the bathtub. And my wife was there, kneeled down, bathing the little baby in the bathtub. And un- unknowingly, I stepped on my wife's toes. With these shoes right here, these big heels. And she screamed, ouch! I said, I'm sorry, but she didn't hear me. She said, it hurts even worse because you didn't say you're sorry. (laughs) So I'm going to say sorry right now because I feel like I might need to step on some of your toes. Because some of us have allowed our faith to flatline. And we think it's just what we believe or what we think or the fact that we show up with a smile. But God is challenging each of us today to go to the next step, to work out, amen, to exercise, to show ourselves, amen. Because physical exercise has limited value. But when you work out toward godliness, it has infinite value. It has tremendous value. And God's plan is for you to have a growing faith. God's plan is for your faith to be growing, not shrinking. Amen. Your faith in God should be more powerful than ever. It should be expanding. Its influence should be reaching. Come on. It should be going forward. This is God's plan is that we move forward. That excites me when I think about it. I don't have to look back to yesterday and say those were the good old days. I don't have to look at my experience five years ago and say, boy, I was really clicking then. But God's plan is that you be stronger now than you were ten years ago. Stronger now than you were ten months ago. That you're going to be stronger ten months from now than you were now. Your faith is going to be more powerful. You're going to have more influence. You're going to have more heavenly currency now than you ever did. My God. This is God's plan. He wants you to have a growing faith. Luke 17, 5. The apostles had problem believing Jesus, and they said unto him, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to the sycamore tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Faith as a grain of mustard seed. Real quick, mustard seed, tiny. Mustard plant, Huge. Are you with me? Mustard seed, tiniest of seeds. Mustard plant, hugest of plants. The point is, the seed doesn't stay tiny. It may start tiny, but God's plan is that it would grow. Increase our faith. Yeah, He'll increase your faith. He will increase your faith. If you work out your faith, amen, if you work out your salvation. 2 Corinthians 10, 15. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow. Everybody get that. 
apostle says, as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand. The apostle Paul made it clear, as your faith grows, God's influence in this area grows. That's one thing I've learned from the Bible. As, as our faith grows, God's influence in this area grows. Some of you are waiting for the church to grow, new people to pop up in these pews. God's waiting for your faith to grow so his area of influence can grow as well. When God's people are full of faith, when God's people have growing faith, the kingdom of God expands. People show up. Hallelujah. Lives are changed. Lives are changed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Increase our faith. Our faith is to be growing. Our faith is to be expanding. Acts 16 and 5 says they grew in faith and in number. You can read it yourself. The church grew in faith and in number. When we have growing faith, the church will be growing. When we have growing faith, lots of people will be getting the Holy Ghost. When we have growing faith, the devils will be intimidated and fearful. Come on now. When we have growing faith, there is nothing that can stand against the church. But when we get into a mode of atrophy, when we get into a mode of flatline, and when we get into a mode where we point back to two years ago when we used to pray, or we point back to last month when we used to believe God, and last year when we used to fast, come on now. God's plan is that we be going forward and growing. We are to work out our salvation. We're to exercise our faith. We're to build it up. We're to expand it. There are many Bible scholars that believe that all believers start with the same faith potential. And uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. This, here's the point I want you to get. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. God has given to every man, and that would include women, the measure of faith. The measure of faith. And uh, using the, this right here is called a, an article. The, little English lesson. This is an article. And more specifically, it is a definite article as opposed to an indefinite article. What does that mean? The indefinite article is a or an. So indefinite article would be God has given to every man a measure of faith, which could be any measure of faith, a variety of sizes. But the definite article, the measure of faith, gives us this impression that it is a specific measure. Everybody gets a mustard seed. Every believer gets a measure. So why then are there some people who the Bible refers to as being full of faith or having great faith? I believe it's real simple. I believe it's real simple. Will, you know how to make somebody a little bigger? You know how to make somebody's arms a little bigger? They got to do the right. They got to exercise. They got to work it out. They got to no pain, no gain it. You got to exercise. You take two guys, basically the same size, 
same strength potential, same lifting potential. And you let one guy sit at home like a couch potato for two years and let the other guy go to the gym, eat right, train himself, exercise for physical fitness and physical strength. Two years later, you put them side by side and you're going to be like, oh, you have great strength. And oh, you have little strength. And we may on the outside look, don't be mean to that person. He just wasn't born with the gift. He didn't work it out. He didn't work it out. And I want to tell you today that if you want your faith to grow, you've got to work out your faith. You've got to exercise. Put it into practice. Get it out there and give a try. Amen. Because as you exercise your faith, your faith will grow. Amen. Your faith will grow. Your faith will expand. Your influence will become greater when you exercise your faith. Hallelujah. The key word is exercise because muscle follows action. Muscle doesn't follow inaction or inactivity. What does inactivity produce? It's atrophy. It's a decaying or a diminishing of the muscle. But great faith follows steps of faith through obedience to the word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Great faith is a result of people who are in obedience to God and taking steps of faith. It says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but exercise yourself unto godliness, because godliness is profitable unto all things. So it's time to exercise and stretch and expand. If you can only lift now what you did five years ago, then you're not growing. Amen. If you keep lifting the same amount and keep doing the same amount of reps, you're going to have little to no increase. But if you expand the amount of weight or expand the amount of the reps, then you will begin to see an increase. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So as a maturing disciple with growing faith, what do we do? There's some things that are important. There are some spiritual disciplines, some spiritual disciplines that are important. We've talked about fasting. Fasting is important for spiritual growth. Guess what? Fasting is not fun. You say, well, I don't fast because I don't like it. You think there's people that like it? Seriously, I'm not going to eat because it's so fun. No. It's a discipline, but you realize that you take your flesh down a notch or two and give your spirit an opportunity to go up a notch or two. You tell yourself no, amen. You deny yourself in fasting. And this is a spiritual discipline that can expand your faith and make you stronger, amen. Make you more viable in spiritual warfare, hallelujah. We mentioned prayer. I want to tell you that uh, the Bible says watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh, the body is weak. The body struggles with these things. So the power of prayer will give you strength. I want to tell you today that when you are praying, when you're praying in the spirit, uh, when you're consistent in your prayer, it gives you strength that you don't even know about. Amen. I'll draw this parallel again to physical exercise with physical exercise. Uh, a lot of people, because of their job, exercise so that they're uh, capable or able to uh, face the challenges that come. Uh, I talked to a police officer that exercised regularly. He said, 
I don't have to do it every week. I may not even have to do it every month. But every once in a while, I'm going to have to run five blocks after somebody and chase them down. I don't want to be <gasps> sucking wind because I spent more time at the donut shop than I spent at the gymnasium. So when the need is there, the muscle is there. When the need is there, the fitness is there. Amen. That's why you don't wait till you get in the trial to start praying. Amen. Exercise yourself toward godliness. Because it's profitable now. Amen. Maybe two weeks down the road, you're going to need that extra bit of muscle. You're going to need that extra bit of faith. Not only is it profitable now, but there's eternal dividends that are going to be paid because of spiritual exercise and spiritual fitness. I long to see the day when I walk in here on a Monday night and there's 50, 60, 75, 85 people that are in here praying, just praying, just talking to God. Yeah, people who have important things to do. People who have things on their schedule. People with priorities uh, and busyness of life. But they're saying, you know what? Uh, I believe in the power. I-, I long for the day when I walk into this church. Amen. Any hour of any day. And there's somebody in here calling on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I long for the day when God's people recognize uh, that if I'll exercise myself toward godliness, uh, I have greater influence, greater faith, uh, and greater strength. Pray in the Spirit. Pray with understanding. Pray in the words that you understand. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Prayer. Amen. Reading the Bible. Studying the Bible. Sister Brown and I are going through the Bible this year. We've read all the way up through September. We're a few few days behind in October. But our goal is to read the Bible through by the end of the year. I'm going to tell you. It may not seem like much sitting down for ten minutes reading the Bible every day. But you've got strength, man. There's muscle showing up. There's muscle fibers showing up in your body. You've got strength you don't even recognize. And whenever you need it, boom, it's there. Hallelujah. You're tagged in. You're tapped in. You're anchored into the Word of God because you're reading and studying and feasting on the Word. I'm not talking about reading two or three hours a day. I'm talking about a little bit of connection to the Word every day. And I find that this exercise is profitable. It's profitable. Hallelujah. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, it says, Just as you excel in everything, or excel would be expand, to grow, to go to the next level. Just as you go to the next level in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that ye also excel, or go forward, or expand. In the grace of giving. Of all of these things that we've talked about, fasting and prayer and uh, studying and reading of the Word, coming to worship regularly, being consistent in our life and our walk with God, this one has perhaps the greatest significance because the Bible says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do break through, do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me tell you something right now. I know what Satan's goal is. He desires to make giving and stewardship a taboo subject in the church. 
He wants me as pastor to feel uncomfortable talking to you about it. You know why? Because it is an important measure of spiritual health, and it is a part of discipleship and spiritual growth. And as long as it remains in the dark, as long as the light isn't shined upon it, then nothing will change. You know, it's weird. Did you guys sense the little change in the atmosphere when I switched from talking about these other things and started talking about money? You know why that is? The reason is, is money is more personal than just about anything else. I mean, we live in a world where now, now in, in church they talk about everything. I mean, they'll, they'll uh, discuss um, uh, just things that are very private. But when it comes to money, everybody gets a little bit nervous and uneasy. Wonder why that is. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about it. He talked about it all the time. He knew that the issue of money and possessions had the power to derail and consume us quicker than anything else. In fact, he said, you're either going to serve God or stuff, money, materialism. He didn't say, you're going to serve God or Satan. He said, you're going to serve God or mammon, which is money, materialism, stuff. Why? Because the issue is this fight between the spiritual kingdom that's invisible and this physical world that we live in, and we're pulled different directions. Amen. And we may have other areas of our life seeking to line up, and one area of spiritual discipline, okay. But the Bible says don't forget about the grace of giving. This is extremely important because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That means your heart is the caboose on the treasure train. Wherever your treasure is going, your heart is following. That's why the Bible says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moth and dust do not corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. Because wherever you put your treasure, your heart is going to follow as well. Amen. I want to talk to some people of God. God has challenged us. God has challenged you to grow in the grace of giving. Not shrink in the grace of giving. Not to move back in the grace of giving. Amen. Do you think God's okay if you pray more and give less? There is a holistic idea in serving God. Amen. In disciplining yourself toward godliness and I may step on some toes right here and right now. But guess what? This is the plow right now coming through. The plow we preached about a couple weeks ago, turning things upside down a little bit for you. But understand that the product of the plow is a harvest. The product of the plow is a blessed harvest that's coming. There is no harvest coming till the plow comes through. Hallelujah. And so, it's important for us to Grow in the grace of giving. Understand that proper stewardship is an essential element of every believer's growth. There's no such thing as a mature Christian who is not also a mature steward of the finances that God gives you. It's impossible, impossible to become a fully developing follower of Jesus without also becoming a fully developing steward of financial resources. 
Now, I want to tell you, I'm just bringing it out to the light now here, okay? I'm not ashamed because I know I'm trying to get you guys to heaven. All right? I'm trying to bring us together. I'm trying to move this church as a group of believers to a place where our faith is expanded. Where our strength and influence is expanded. So part of that is a reminder, a reminder, a reminder, a reminder, a reminder again that God has promised that if you give the first tenth to God, then He's going to bless you. If you keep the first tenth or spend it on yourself, you're under a biblical curse. That's what the Bible says. I want to remind you of this. Amen. I want to remind you of this because I want God's blessings in your life. Amen. Let me plow through. Let me step on your toes a little bit. But there's going to be a good product for it. There's going to be a good result. There's going to be a good happening. Amen. Hallelujah. And the thing about tithing is it's, is, is the beauty of it is it is it works for everybody. If it were a dollar amount that we had to give, that would be a challenge, wouldn't it? For some people, it would be very easy. For others, it would be very difficult. But when you understand the principle of stewardship, which is basically meaning how you manage what God gives you all 100%, then tithing is the same level of difficulty for everyone. takes the same amount of discipline for everyone. Amen. But this person has a lot more money than that person. It's easier for them. Same amount of discipline for everyone. But when we are faithful and when we are growing in the grace of giving, we open ourselves up for God's favor and God's blessing and God's influence to expand in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit has to move in your heart. And uh, there is measures of spiritual growth that can be observed when a person goes from sporadic giving to tithing faithfully. And when a person, we, we can say, well, God's at work there. But the reverse is true also when someone goes from consistency in giving and faithfulness in giving. And the reverse happens. Something is wrong there. Something's taking place that needs to be adjusted. Our treasure lets us know where our hearts are heading. And so tithing is the obedient level giving. And God gives clear commands about bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, the local church. And as pastor, one of my responsibilities is to go through the books and to look at the contributions. And as a pastor, I look and I said, this person made this in six months. This member of Life Church, $200, which means they lived off $2,000 for six months. I'm scratching my head, and I'm like, no, I understand that these people are out of line of obedience with God. But the reality is God wants to wake us up. He wants you to excel in the grace of giving. If this wasn't the Word of God, I sure enough wouldn't preach it. But when you do what the Bible says, you are exercising faith and saying, I believe God's going to meet my needs. I believe by obeying God, God's going to take care of all the things that I have need of. He's going to open doors. Amen. He's going to make a pathway. Come on now. Hallelujah. And the opposite, and understand, I'm not 
I'm not speaking here to uh, new people, new believers coming into the church. I'm talking to those who understand and have embraced and accepted this principle from the Word of God. So the Bible says as givers we should grow in the grace of giving. The church grows in its ability to do God's work as God's people grow in the grace of giving. And it's time for us to stretch, to become extravagant givers. and Amen. To become sacrificial givers. The kingdom of God moves forward because of sacrificial people whose lives are committed 100%. When we say extravagant giver, it's not about the amount. It's not about the amount, but it's about the proportion to your income. When the woman with the widow's might came and gave just put down that little tiny offering and Jesus said she gave the most. She was the most extravagant giver. Not because of the amount that she gave but because of the amount that was left after she gave. There was sacrifice in her heart. I'm not talking about money and I'm not talking about budget. I'm talking right now about spirituality. I'm talking about growing in the grace of giving. Generosity is not based on the amount but it's based on what's left over after giving. Tithe is Tithe is just the jumping off point to a life of extravagant giving. You've got to stretch, exercise, give, and it will come back to you. Hallelujah. And I want to tell you today that there's no other way. You look at it mathematically. You look at it from all angles. Not giving is a lack of faith. Not giving. No, You say, no, it's a lack of resources. No, it's a lack of faith. Amen. Amen. Not giving is a lack of faith. But I want to tell you that when you exercise, your strength grows. When you stretch, see, that's the, that's the thing. Faith is tied to giving. And I'm wrapping it up. I've held your attention long enough. I'm wrapping it up here. Faith and giving are tied together. Amen. That's where you're like really making faith real. Because like with other faith, you're like... I believe in this, I believe this is going to happen, I believe this is going to happen. If it doesn't happen, I'll be maybe disappointed. But life goes on. When you put your tithe together with offerings, together with some for missions, and you say, hey, this is my life anyway. You guys do whatever you want to. This is my life. And you put it on the altar. And you lay it out before the Lord. You are saying, I believe God's going to take care of me. God is going to meet all of my needs according to the riches in glory. Amen. I believe that that I'm going to be able to do more with the 90% or the 80% or the 75% uh, than I could with the 100% with God's favor. That takes faith. That takes real. That's faith being put into action. That's faith with legs on. Amen. That's faith that is being exercised and expanded. I talked to somebody recently, and uh, he said, uh, it was a young man at an event I was preaching at. He talked about exercising faith. He's the one that kind of gave me inspiration today. It was just a young, young man from, uh, from Texas, young African-American man from Texas. He said, you know what my grandma used to tell me? He said, you've got to put your faith in action. You've got to exercise your faith. He said, here's what my grandma told me. She taught me this. She said, you need to tithe on what you want your income to be, not what it really is. <laughs> really? Why? Well, I'm not suggesting or recommending. I'm just telling you right now that this guy said, if I stretch, I believe God can meet me there. Hallelujah. 
And I want to tell you that God's plan for Life Church going forward is going to be dependent on people who are all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. As a church body, when we believers, members of the body of Christ, commit ourselves to faithfully tithe, each time that there is an increase, each time that there is income, giving the first tenth to God, and then follow that up with sacrificial giving, offerings, offerings, systematic offerings, systematic offerings. When the, uh, uh, I, I, I hate doing this, but I, I just want I, I just got to say this. From the time that we started the building project, the, um, I felt moved on by God to give 25%, live off 75%, and followed through with that. And guess what? God is blessing me. God's taking care of my needs. Amen. Oh, but you have to be on a budget. You have to count your coins. You have to count your dollars. That's all right. I don't mind that. God's taking care of my needs. Amen. God's taking care of my needs. And so tithe is the jumping off point. Then comes offering. See, we have mission, We had a missionary couple come to our life group last week. I was so disappointed. I was really disappointed. I was like, God, why can't we bring this missionary on and support him? He's going to uh, uh, Kazakhstan. He's going to... Uh, Siberia, and I was like, I want to support him so badly. I want to support him so badly. And the Lord told me, you've got to get Life Church flexing their muscles again because many of them have become sluggish, and maybe even as a whole church, we've become sloppy. There's a lot of churches that have to pay huge mortgage payments. We haven't had to pay a mortgage payment for years and years and years. There's a lot of churches that have a lot of pressure because of their financial commitments to missionaries and so forth. We've become lazy, and I want us to get strong. 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 Hallelujah. 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 The Word of God mandates the tithe. But offering is something that you can exercise yourself. Now check this out. Here's a good idea. If you're going to go exercise at the gym and you haven't done any curls and you're going to go do curls, don't go out and and grab the 100-pound bar and start trying to do curls with that. Amen. you got to work it up. Work it up. But have this mindset of this is for now, but guess what? Next week, man, or next month, I believe I can get up a little bit more. I believe I can get a little stronger. I can do a little better. I can do more as God begins to provide and bless. I'm talking about offerings here. I'm talking about above and beyond. Tithe is the mandated of God. But when we move beyond, amen, we move beyond. We stretch ourselves and become everything that God wants us to be. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's stand to our feet. Everybody said, thank the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. I've got a quote from a man named Nate Saint, who was a missionary to Ecuador, who was killed by the Aka Indians there. There's a movie called The End of the Spear that uh, is the story of Nate Saint. And this is one of his entries into his diary just before he his life was taken there on the soil, South American soil in Ecuador. And he said, if God would grant to us vision, the word sacrifice would disappear from our lips. We would hate the things that now seem so dear to us. Our lives would suddenly be too short. We would despise time-robbing distractions and charge hell 
with all our energies in Christ's name. He said this right before his life was taken. There's another great missionary, David Livingston. David Livingston, who said he was the the missionary to Africa from Britain. He said, people talk of the sacrifice I have made spending much of my life in Africa. Away with the word sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Foregoing the common conveniences of this life is nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us in heaven. I have never made a sacrifice. David Livingston, when he died, was died in a kneeling position, kneeling in prayer. The nation of Britain, who recognized his commitment and sacrifice, wanted to give him a proper burial. The African tribe that he had ministered to and served, first of all, didn't want to release his body to Britain to be buried there, but finally they relented. But before they sent his body to Britain, they first cut his heart out of his body. And they sent the body with this note. You can have his body, but his heart belongs in Africa. I want to tell you today, people say, I'd like to have a heart for missions. I'd like to have a heart for the gospel. Jesus is saying, put your money into missions. Put your money into the kingdom and your heart will follow. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Hallelujah. When we become stronger in the grace of giving, our ability to impact this world grows. Our ability to have influence in this world grows. But not only that, but we begin to open ourselves up for blessings, that God can send the blessings down so that more can flow through us, so that more people can be blessed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'm praying that all of us would receive the word of the Lord today. And I want to challenge you to put your faith in action and to do what God's called you to do. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could bow our heads right now where we're sitting. And uh, if it's appropriate, I want you just maybe to join hands with the person next to you. Place a hand on their shoulder, whatever it is appropriate. We're going to pray for one another right now in this place. Hallelujah. Here's what Pastor Brown has to say today. God's put it in my heart. We cannot stay where we are, and you can't stay where you are. Hallelujah. God's will is that you would be growing, that you would be expanding, that you would be exercising yourself to become what God wants you to be. I want us to pray right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you, dear God, for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the love that you've shown to me throughout my life. Lord, I'm so grateful to you for it. I'm so thankful. Jesus, it's my prayer, Lord God, that I could be everything that you would want me to be, Lord God. That I could grow and expand and become stronger, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that you'd give me victory, Lord, over any sins that are in my life and areas of disobedience, Lord God. Let me walk in obedience, Jesus, with faith and fire in my spirit. I thank you, Lord God, that you've never left nor forsaken me, Jesus, but that you've been there with me through every trial and every difficulty. And God, I believe you've called me to let my life make a difference in this world. I want my life to make a difference at the end of the day, Lord God. 
I want the fire of your spirit to burn within me. I want a passion for godliness to get a hold of me, Lord Jesus. Let me pursue righteousness, Lord God, and spiritual disciplines and commitment, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, God, you're great and greatly to be praised. God, you're mighty and powerful and blessed, and we give you glory and honor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, I want to grow. God, I want to take that next step. I want to take that step of faith. I want to be committed to your purpose and to your cause, Lord God. I want to grow up, Lord Jesus, to become everything that you planned and scheduled and declared that I would be. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus, come on, praise Him for a minute right now. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and sing this song with Sister Brown right now. Just small size. 
So I'm challenging you as members of the body of Christ and believers to go home and dust off your Bible and start working it out. Amen. And get your prayer closet, get everything that's gotten in the way in your prayer closet, move it out of the way and work it out. Become faithful in your disciplines and commitment to the kingdom of God and watch God begin to grow and move you forward. Because remember, as I said from the very beginning, you're in a battle. There's a pull from both directions. There's a pull back and forth, back and forth pull. And understand that uh, when you give uh, focus and commitment and energy to God's kingdom, you find your heart moving that direction. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. I want to make it to heaven, and I want to bring a bunch of people with me. Come on, anybody else feel that way? I want to take a, just a bunch of people with me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. Before you're dismissed, I want to uh, mention two things. If you have children downstairs, please go get them real quickly. And secondly, um, make sure you... Uh